Well, I want to say good morning to each of you this morning. It is a joy to have you here. Um, I've so enjoyed the renovated area that we have uh, here in our church now off of the East Lobby, the North Hallway there. It's just really a blessing to everybody that walks down that hallway and that um, comes to our church. And so I just want to thank those who have so diligently made that happen. Um, thank you so much. There's been a lot of different people that's jumped in and helped us with that, and we are rejoicing. Um, it's such a blessing. So appreciate the striving for excellence in that, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, it's been a, a difficult week in a lot of ways, and one of the ways is, uh, you know, I study and read and prepare, and the topic that I have to study and read and prepare for this week was a very difficult topic and uh, just a lot of spiritual warfare related to this topic. But one of the things I want to do is I want to be faithful to talk about um, what Paul would have us talk about in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11 is our passage, but especially verse 5. And so we'll be looking at that here in just in a moment. Uh, one of the things that I, my hope is, as a church is that we can normalize the discussions that we need to normalize. And one of the things that we need to normalize in terms of what we talk about here in the church is the gift of our sexuality and how God would have us to use this. Of course, there's a lot of, a lot of twistedness, of, a twisting of this gift. Um, and so we're going to be looking at some of this today. And I just, my hope is that we could all move together as a community toward this. Um, one of the most difficult things is um, when we talk about this particular topic, it's not just a, a topic for men, but it's also a topic for men and women. And so um, when we talk about pornography and different expressions of our sexuality, the hookup culture and these things, it, it, it reaches into both male and female worlds. And so um, today we're going to be looking at four C words to guide us through our passage and we'll be focusing primarily on the first of these, which is a new cleanness. We'll talk about a new cleanness, a new, a, a new calm, a new candor, and a new community. And we'll primarily focus on a new cleanness. Um, and within that, there is a struggle for cleanness. Uh, there is, love cannot be clicked, okay? And I know that I talk to a church of people where we all have struggled. And it's so easy, it's so easy to get into situations online, other places. And of course, like I said this week, I'm reading things, I'm learning things kind of as I go, experiencing things. And there's things you read and see and things you wish you didn't. But uh, that happens when we deal with a topic like this. And I'm going to tell you, it's been a spiritual warfare driven week. I know I'm on to something. I know I am. And I believe this is one of the things when we take this on, normalize this discussion, and we begin to move toward sexual sobriety, and we move toward a, a proper uh, biblical, you know, God-honoring expression of this gift that God has given to each of us, it's going to liberate people, it's going to help people, it's going to, we can move toward this together, and we can become the church that God's calling us to be, and we can be spiritual conduits of his love, and really that's what we're fighting for. And that's what this topic, the underlying value of the topic is that we would, be, we would have love and we would be able to express our love in a way that honors other people. And so, but it's been a battle. It's been hard. 
And uh, at the end of the, of the message today, um, I'm going to just end it with this note, consider before consuming, okay? And so what I will do, not for the online audience, but for those who are here, I will be sharing my, uh, I was just mowing the grass yesterday, trying to figure out what radical thing could I do, not only to hold myself accountable, but to help our church family in this area. I'm mowing the grass like, God, I know the text says, in just a second, you're going to see it, where, where uh, Paul says um, to basically execute, he gets really violent with his verb, and he says, I want you to execute or just kill the expressions of your sexuality that are outside of God's guidelines. You don't kill your desire. That's God-given. That's a blessing. That's a gift from God. But the, the, the inappropriate expressions of those desires, to kill it, he says. He gets violent with his verb. You'll see it in just a second. Okay? But what can I do? Because I, wanna, I, I want us as a church, I want, I, I, want us, I want people to know that they can come to Stone Hill Community Church. They can come with whatever issues they have, and they can begin to make progress in their spiritual life. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is consider before consuming. And so mowing the grass, trying to figure out what's my role for seven days. Those of you who are here, seven days. I'm going to give you my, my phone number at the end of the service. Seven days before you consume, whether it's alcohol, drugs, porn, whatever it is you consume. Before you consume, I want you to text me. Okay, text me. Here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. That's, that's fine. And I'm going to send you a word back from God to you, okay? And I'll try to do it as quick as I can. No phone calls. I gotta have time to prepare my messages, okay? Just a text. Consider before consuming. For seven days before you consume, text me. Say, Joey, here's where I am. Here's what's gonna happen. What's the word? And I'll give you the word, okay? This is what the Lord would have me to do today, okay? For seven days. I want to help. I want to assist I want to normalize this, this discussion, so that we can make some headway. And I know as I've studied th this week, I know there's been a lot of just, like God, just a recommitment to sexual sobriety in such a way that you can flow through me and I can love my wife like I need to love her and I can love you like I need to love you. And, and I love this church. I love this community of people. I love the young men, the young ladies. I love what God is doing here. And there is no reason why this church cannot be a, a very powerful voice and a ministry in this community at this time, but because we're willing to talk about the stuff that matters. And this is why this, is why this has been a, sp a spiritual warfare contention point this week. I'm onto something here. I know I am because the spiritual realm is at work, okay, and the cosmic stuff. I know, I know this is where God needs for us to go as a congregation. And so, so that's, that's where we're going to end up today. But how are we going to get there? So there's, there's a struggle for cleanness. Love can't be clicked. I'm going to underscore and propose that. Um, the, there's a scripture for cleanness. And that's what we're going to be looking at in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, primarily 5 through 7 today. We'll come back to this passage. And when I talk about the scripture for cleanness, um, basically a fence at the top of the cliff is better than an ambulance at the bottom. And so Paul sees it that way, and we want to establish the fences such that we, we preclude the fall and the, and the destruction of life. And so we're talking about the fence here today. And then 
the struggle, the strip, scripture for cleanness, and then the strategy of cleanness. Basically, the strategy for cleanness is to take out the garbage. Um, we have to go through our social media accounts. We gotta, we gotta, um, we've got to look at the way we communicate with people, what we're doing online. You know, sometimes you get in a search, you get in a search, you're a click or two in, then you're caught up in something, and how do I get out? And then things start cascading. You go for the X, you try to hit the X. It's not the X you thought it was. Now you're going another direction, and then what do you do? Sometimes you just got to take out the garbage, abandon the search, right? And so what I'm saying is uh, there is a strategy for cleanness, and we just have to take out the garbage. It's a, it's a mental choice we have to make to take out the garbage. I'll talk to you about that in just a little bit. And then I'm going to share with you today that pornography is not just a male problem. It is a female problem that's spiking exponentially. So it's not just a male problem. we got to look at the problem behind the problem. Jay Stringer, a book I uh, uh, consulted and read through, uh, just a powerful approach to this. There's a problem behind the problem. You think porn is your problem. It's not your problem. It's a bigger, there's a bigger problem. Okay? And then the end goal of all of this is to have a God-glorifying sexuality where we offer the gift to the person that we marry. Praise God. We offer this gift to the person that we marry. And if we will approach it this way, and we can just kind of, those will be the contours, the, the, the lines of my thought this morning, my proposal that I'm trying to share with the congregation. And so let's just read through these verses. I'm going to be coming back to them uh, probably next week. But uh, let's just read through this. We got our four C words, okay? The first C word, there's a new cleanness. There's a new cleanness for you and for me, all right? Verses five through seven, Colossians chapter three, verses five through seven. If we could pull that up on the screen, that would be outstanding. And then um, what we'll do is we'll, this, this is the first few verses of it, uh, of uh, Colossians 1, and that's good because we're raised with Christ, right? We're set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And those, that was the sermon a few weeks ago where we just established the identity in Christ. And see, that's our big issue is who we are in Christ, Okay, and I just want to share with you this morning, no matter how you consume and what you consume, you're valuable, you're made in his image, you, your identity is in him, okay? We just build you up this way, uh, we want to encourage you this way, this is who you are, this is who you belong to, and what's happened in Christ has happened with you, and that all of his wealth and all of his resources are yours, you're in Jesus, praise God, that's who you are. Now the goal is to live from that, to become who you already are. And you've been called and you've been set apart. Now, put, put to death, therefore, a new cleanness now. Put to death, therefore, it's a violent verb. Uh, 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 Nekrao is the, is the verb. It's, it's very violent. It's not just, uh, it's not just consider or, or control um, inappropriate expressions of your appetites. That's a nice... Uh, domestic way of saying it. No, no, this is a, this is a put to death, execute any expression outside of God's guidelines because if we don't, 
like the uh, Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin before, before sin kills you. So there's something after you, there's something after your spiritual life to kill you and to take you out and destroy your, your um, life and your vitality and your zest, your energy for life. And, and this is one area that will do that. And so Paul says, get radical with it. And, and, that's, what I, and, and that's what we have to do sometimes because it will destroy us. And so here it is. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, that is your sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Okay, there is a new cleanness, praise God. You need a new cleanness? It's here for you today through Christ. And so let's go to the next verse. Um, Again, we'll be coming back to the uh, verses 8 through 11 later, probably next week. But let's go to the next slide if we would. Okay, but now, so there's a new calm. There's a new calm, verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And so there's a new calm. Do you need a new calm in your life? Okay, not only that, but there's a new candor, uh, verses 9 through, 10, uh, uh, 9 through 10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There's a new candor, okay? And then finally, there's a new community you can't win this fight alone you're not going to win it okay you need people you need your church family to come in around you and partner with you in this effort and that's what that's why mowing the grass yesterday trying to figure this out what radical thing could I do to come in alongside that's why I'm saying before you consider before you consume okay before you consume text me I'm going to send a message back to you that's going to tell you who you are in Jesus okay we got to get, do something radical, whatever it is. We've got to do something to put us in a position of freedom, right? And it stays with me, by the way, okay? So there's a new community. Here it is. There is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all, okay? A new cleanness, a new calm, a new candor, and a new community. You need these four C's operating and working in your life. Now listen, as I think about this, I know I'm onto something because like I said, I, I sense it in the spiritual world. Uh, but as a pastor, you know, I got to traffic and stuff. I got to study stuff, understand stuff, learn new terminology for things. It's uncomfortable and it puts me in a position where I'm vulnerable. Okay, I need you to pray for me. I want to make sure that I'm only up and up in this, but at the same time, I want to be in a position to know what I'm talking about. So pray for me. And I want our church to recast this whole idea of our sexuality into the wonderful, powerful, beautiful gift that God intended it to be. You see, we're that kind of church. You're that special and you're loved that much. Because if we can recast this and recast this vision and we can normalize the discussion on this, I think we have a fighting chance of seeing our love increase, our oneness increase, our marriages and family get better, our, how we feel about ourselves, our availability for God to use us. I just think it's, it, it's all going to get better when we take out the garbage. 
all right? And so as we think about this, I want to just exhort our parents, if you would, and even grandparents, while you, you may have the value of, uh, for your unmarried kids or grandkids to not use and open the gift of their sexuality with another person until they're married to, that, to their spouse, that may be your priority and your vision. And it's a good and worthy vision. But what I would ask you to do before you even go there, I would encourage you to share with your family a different kind of focus, and that is on why our sexuality is sacred. Why it's sacred. Why it's special. If every parent would do me that favor, if every grandparent would do me this favor of pulling in your young people and showing them how that they can be prepared for a great marriage and, and a great use of their sexual gift in marriage, if you will pull them together and begin to paint the picture of how that could work and what that can look like, I would be most grateful. And you will position them to be in a position then to maybe make some better, wiser choices in this area of life. Talk to them about meeting someone and the joy of falling in love and the joy of bonding and handholding and dates and getting to know you phases of the relationship. And, 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 and what, what we must see in this discussion as well is that, is that uh, these expressions of our sexuality, whether it's pornography or whatever, porn cannot love you. You will never find love in a click, okay? And, and so what it does, it leaves you anxious and lonely and bored and stressed and, and porn cannot fight for you. It can't look after you. It won't make you appreciate the little things in life. But on the flip side, love offers companionship and friendship and a close bond that no porn can rival. Okay, so I've had people tell to me this way. I think, and my wife likes this explanation of the gift of our sexuality. It's like a fire. When it stays in the confines of the fireplace, it gives comfort and warmth to the whole house. But if it gets outside of the fireplace, it burns the house down. It's an amazing campfire, but it's a horrible forest fire. And that's why God builds the boundaries in around it to protect the, the purpose of it and what he wants it to accomplish in our life. So many times... Abuses of our sexuality are driven by emotional pain and loneliness. And it's further complicated by confusion about who we really are in Christ. And that's why I think Paul writes about that first in first four verses. He writes about who we are in Christ because he knows what's coming. That they are not understanding that very well. And that so therefore they are, they are living their life in their old identities. You know, a New Testament scholar uh, says that when Paul uses the word porneia, which is sexual immorality, which if we go back a slide for me, if you would, we get our uh, word pornography from this. Um, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, porneia, or pornea, is the word that he use, uses there. And what we have to understand is that Paul was writing to some Colossian believers who were experiencing and had walked in adulterous relationships uh, men were sleeping with their slave girls. There was incestuous practices. I won't get into that. 
There was prostitution. There were sacred sexual encounters in the local temples. There was homosexuality. There was transgenderism. It was all part of the everyday culture of the first century world. And so, and the first century is our century. And I think it's probably a lot worse because if we think that we can just accomplish what, what it is we want to accomplish with a click or a few clicks. And it makes it so easy. But the first century is our century. And there are men, even as they had in their world, there are men all over the digital world who are taking on feminized names and presenting as women and permanently altering their bodies in an attempt to create a new identity. And they'll never find it. That's the world we live in. And I'm learning a whole new list of things of, of, of what is happening. And, and even I've discovered a conversation and that is that there is a now a movement of Christian porn. Clue phone doesn't exist. Christian porn. Or those in this industry, in this world who present themselves as Christian. And it's all a part of the deceptive scheme to pull you in. And so as we think about an entire generation that has now grown up with easy access um, to pornography and hookup culture, what, what's interesting is to begin to see these stories that are beginning to surface because people have lived the first 20 to 30 years of their lives consuming. The first 20 or 30 years of their lives consuming hookup culture, what that offers, what pornography offers, what these aberrant expressions of our sexuality, what, what the culture offers this way. And what we are finding and what the reports are coming back with is that people don't know how to do real relationships. There's anxiety. Um, there's lots of counseling. That's surged. There's focus and clear-headedness that's hard to maintain. There's depression linked to the inability to compete with pixels abounds. There's relational problems. There's broken trust. There's lost time. There's growth on other, lost time and growth on other productive things. And so the fallout of this is astounding what, and what's being observed. And so, um, like I said earlier at the top of this, it's not just a male struggle one lady uh, tells about her journey through porn addiction. And I'll share it with you and she'll be anonymous here. But she says, what I, what I know is that isolation is damaging. She said, my dad was a, was a preoccupied mortgage broker and her mom was a housewife. And he'd go back to work after the kids went to bed. And he'd be gone in the morning um, when, uh, when she, would, she and the kids would get up in this family. And so he was always trying to get ahead at the expense of his wife's growing resentment with occasional outbursts of anger that never seemed to slow him down. And so they, they uh, see him a little on the weekends, but he was still preoccupied uh, while even at home. And she said, we had everything. We had everything that money really could buy. We had a vacation home, even in Hawaii. And she said, I got hooked on TV at a young age, marking the beginning of my intense bond with screens. And when my mom would get upset, I'd even go play video games with my brother. And so I just had this bond and attachment to the screen. And when her mom and dad announced they were having another baby, she said, I burst in tears because no one understood why I was crying. But she said, I burst in tears because I didn't know how to describe the panic I felt from being cast aside and overshadowed. Oh boy, a baby's coming into this family and my mom and dad won't give me the time of day now. 
what's it going to be when the baby steps into this world? And she says, I was already ignored. The new baby threatened me. And so it was just not good news for me. She said, somehow I knew it was never going to get better with me and my mom and my dad. And she said, I was right. The baby got all the attention, received all the gifts. She had to wear a brace at that time in her life. So she felt like a loner at school. Her, her dad refused to address the dysfunction in the family. And the mom pretended and denied everything. And so she blamed everyone, including God. So there was this alienation. Her parents, she said, they would never talk about her sexuality. And if something inappropriate came on TV or the computer, whatever, they would just shut it off and they would never explain why they would do that. But they never followed up and explained things. She said, I journaled a lot. I listened to angsty music. I discovered the endless novelty of pornography. And she said, I, I acted on this and eventually that led me to every kind of relationship in the hookup culture you can imagine. The only way to mask my insecurity was to overpower it with my sexuality and to somehow fill in the loneliness I felt. She said, if I caught a man checking me out, it gave me a rush of validation. And if that didn't happen, she said, I felt empty and pathetic. And she, and she dove headlong into the hookup culture of her day and culture. She said, I tried to fill every lonely moment with a body and I kept them on a rotating basis. And when the relationships with people didn't work out, she turned to porn again and again and she said, my need for affection became unbearable. But she says, I remember meeting a girl who loved the arts. This girl loved great music. This girl had cool friends. She had a sharp mind. She honored God with her life. She felt connected. She said, I felt connected. When I was with the, my friend, this new friend I had, I felt connected because it was almost like I felt something sacred when, when I was with her. And she was the first person, she writes, the first person that I had ever met in her 20s that had decided to let the gift of her sexuality only be expressed with the person that she would marry. She said, I never met anybody else like her. And what's more, she seemed completely confident in the decision that she made. But don't you wonder what things are like this way? And, and this God gal shrugged. And of course, of course I wonder, but it can wait. I don't feel deprived. She said after the God gal shared that with her, she thought back on her life and the hookup culture that she had decided to live out and the pornography use in her life. And she says how that dominated my mind for so many years. And after she said this, she says she looked back and she looks at God girl and she thinks, you know, God girl's not the one deprived. I'm the one that's been deprived of really what this was supposed to be from the beginning. So God girl took her hand and said, you know, I'm not going to treat you any different. We're all coming from this from different paths and different backgrounds. But she said, God girl was so fun to be with and this impacted my life. She said that led one thing led to another and she got in a recovery group. And this lady got in a recovery group for men and women. And she said, it's interesting. It seemed like men and women both were afraid of the same thing. They were afraid of intimacy. And this fear was often fueled 
by a feeling of unworthiness, that this feeling of unworthiness could almost always be traced back to an early memory, an emotional wounding of some sort in your life. And that's why I said we got to look at the problem behind the problem. And that we, we, we want to bond, we want to connect, but we go about it all the wrong ways that are destructive, that alienate, that isolate. And she recognized that. And she said in her recovery group, she said we, we had all learned to believe a lie about ourselves, that we were bad or that we were ugly or that we were broken or that we were unlovable and, and pornography and hookup culture kept us from engaging with the world. And one of the most terrifying yet important steps, she says, was the mere act of confession. She said, I traveled back in time to when I was 12 years of age, so fragile, so vulnerable, and this was the origin of my hurt. And she said, I'd always known it. I just never really would face it. And I still felt like that girl, that 12-year-old girl. I never aged. I never healed. I saw my baby sister coddled by my parents. And I resented her for taking them from me. I needed them, she says. And I didn't know how to use my own voice to ask for what I needed most. And that was to be loved. She says, once I cracked open and appreciated and was appreciated for being raw in her recovery group, there was no way to close it back up. Once I cracked open, she said, I confessed every way I knew how. And I learned how to reclaim the girl that I was at 12. Her insecurities, her self-hatred, her coping mechanisms, all of her, I learned to reclaim that and find healing in that. And so that's the struggle. It's not just a male struggle. It's not just a female struggle. It's, 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 it's a struggle that we face and that you're all going to encounter in one way, shape, or form in your life. And so it, it underscores the struggle. And then what we do is we don't just stop with the struggle. We look at the scripture. And so when we look at the scripture and we look at what Paul says here, as we face the struggle, he says to put to death, to, to and it's a, like I said, it's a violent verb, to deprive the illegitimate expressions of our, of our human nature, to deprive them of their power. And so whatever radical steps that you and I have to take to ensure that we, um, we allow the gifts of God to be used in a way that he's intended is that we sometimes we build fences at the top of cliffs so as to avoid the ambulance at the bottom. And the question is, how, how can we deprive something of its power? And one of the ways here that are that are in our story, we understand it's just, it's just this act of confession, this act of, yeah, this is a struggle. This is a difficult thing, and I want to get this right for the glory of God. But sometimes just taking that step of saying, you know, Joey, Joey, here I am. This is what I'm facing. Okay, just that simple step. And you're loved in that, and you're affirmed in that. That simple step begins a process of breaking you open and letting God pour in and come into our life, right? And so when I study the verb form, it's an aorist imperative. Doesn't It's just geek talk for people who have gone to seminary, right? What that means is it's an undertaken decisive activity that's undertaken with a sense of urgency. He says, do it and do it now before it takes out your life, before it destroys you, before it destroys your home and your marriage. 
and your character and, and, and your family. Do it and do it now. Do it quickly. Take radical steps. You know, it's, um, he says, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And so Paul, no matter how lofty Paul says our position in Christ is, and it is a lofty position, who you are in Christ. It's a lofty position, but we have to deal with our bodies and its appetites and its desires. And so we thank God for our bodies, our God-given desires. And we express those within, within, with joy within the boundaries set up by God. And so it's a, it's a God-given gift. There, there's no right or wrong note on a piano, right? All the notes are right. They're all right. They're not a right or wrong note, whether it's a black one or a white one. They're all right when you play them in their proper time. And that's the way it is with, with God's gifts and the desires he's given you. Your desire to connect and to bond and to feel close and to be intimate and to, be, to, to share the gift of your sexuality with someone, that's a God-given thing. Don't be embarrassed by that or afraid of that. And, and don't feel shamed by that. This is, this is how God has put you together. And the goal is to see this gift expressed in the proper place and time with the proper person in the proper way. And when it is, it's not the jolting, discordant notes of a, of a, uh, on a piano that's played at a proper time. It, it creates beautiful music. And so Paul wants us to confront the expression of our sexuality that falls outside of God's plan for it. Because if we continue to express that way, it will create more loneliness than closeness. And so that's why Paul gets violent with his verb in Colossians 3, 5. Kill it. Execute it. Spike it. Do whatever you've got to do because this thing's gonna come for you and it will just take your whole life. And just like the banks of a river, without the boundaries, sex becomes a swamp. It just kind of goes everywhere in all kinds of directions. But when it's boundaried in, then it can serve the purpose that God has for it. So the beauty and sacredness of our sexuality has been twisted. And it's been twisted into something God's not intended it to be. What does Paul say here on the screen? He uses a series of four words. I kind of think he's kind of using words to build, to show uh, an escalation effect of what's happening. There's immorality, which is a broad term. Pornea is the bigger, um, broader term. It, it covers all forms of sexual expression outside of God's um, desire for this gift. Um, he talks about impurity, which is a wider perversion. He talks about lust, uncontrolled passion, evil desires. And as I read this, I thought of a guy by the name of Dr. Victor Klein, a, a clinical psychologist at the University of Utah, specialist in the area of, of addictions. He says, in every addiction, you'll have these four stages. I kind of think of Paul when Paul wrote these words. And I think of this, and I kind of marry them together. And you can kind of see the, what Paul is doing here. So, uh, Klein says, step one is the addiction. There's a dependence on a certain behavior. Paul calls that immorality on the screen. The second thing is escalation. It goes further and further and further. Paul calls that impurity. 
And the third step is desensitization. There's no longer alarms and, and it all feels legitimate. Paul calls that lust. And then finally, there's acting out where you harm other people. Paul calls that evil desires and acts on the screen. You see how this kind of takes over your life? It pieces at a time. And so many times these guys, though, will, will show you that the, the emotional wounding is many times the factor. And so that maybe we shouldn't even call it addiction. Maybe we should call it bonding, a failure to bond in a deep and intimate way, in a way that God has intended. Um, on the slide, unwanted, how sexual brokenness reveals our way to healing. Very helpful resource I've consulted for this part of Colossians. And uh, the guy's name is Jay Stringer. And what he says is, um, you know, the most one of the most important things that a person must do in this entire discussion is to listen to your life and to observe your life and to understand what's happening behind the struggle. And so there's, there's things that are happening. And he says, more often than not, the battle in hookup culture and the battle in pornography use and so on, he says it, it, it's traced to things like disengaged family. There was connections and, 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 and conversations that needed to happen with mom and dad within the family and the disengaged family didn't allow that to happen. And so, and so um, there's, we find these expressions of the gift that God has given us in ways that destroy us. And so we're looking for input, we're looking for information and it's not there because our family's disengaged. There's childhood abandonment many times. There's enmeshed parents where maybe a parent looks to a child to meet emotional needs that maybe a spouse is not meeting. There's sexual abuse. There's personal trauma that's not been dealt with. And you combine any of those things, according to Stringer, you combine any of those things with, with a general lack of purpose or anger that's mixed because someone mixed into all this because someone disrespected you or, or there's frustration because your objectives aren't being achieved or there's loneliness in your life. There's boredom. And you mix all of that together and you understand why people seek overrides for the emotions of defeat. We seek those overrides. And in that setting, lust gets intensified in the soil of disengagement. And in the, at the end of the day, we're crying for belonging and we're not finding it. You know, um, Paul says, he uses another term here that's tagged on to the tail end of this thing. He says all these words, and then he says, and greed, which is idolatry. These four terms, when you look at them out of control, the sexual immorality, the uncleanness, the desire, the illicit expressions of, of the gifts that God has given, all of these things that results in idolatry, where you take a legitimate thing and you make it an ultimate thing, and now all of a sudden, all of your life is going to be driven by this one thing. Paul says it's idolatry and has to be dethroned if we have a fighting chance. You know, um, the idol of hookup culture, which is what Paul is taking on here in the first century context, it's what I'm taking on here in, a, in our, our culture. 
the hookup culture has been a thing now for a long time. And like I said, um, the bill is coming due. People are beginning to write their stories and they're beginning to share the fallout of having subscribed to a culture whose values have, have moved them this way. And so now they're, they're telling their story, how the hookup culture was, there's brief, casual, commitment-free relationships and no follow-up whatsoever, regardless of what's happened in those relationships, not even a text. And they pretend like this stuff doesn't mean anything. And these relationships didn't mean anything. But now they're beginning to get real with themselves and say, you know what, no, no, that they, it did, did mean something. Damage was done in my heart and in my life. One lady, who I'll let remain anonymous as well, um, shared how that she had slept with nearly 40 boys and men beginning at a young age before she figured out it wasn't fixing what she was craving within. Her dad moved out early so there was no protection or boundaries. Again, she wanted engagement. She needed that input uh, from a mom and a dad, but her dad moved out early, no protection, no boundaries. Her mom was so emotionally overwhelmed by life that she had no nurture to give. And so she was exposed. And so she, she turned to a hypersexual life. And this, she says, was how desperate I was for attention to feel loved and to be less alone. And so this is how she went about trying to feel this. She said, I was tired of not being chosen Anything, she said, to endear myself to someone. She wanted someone's full and total attention, and she did that through her body. And yet she said, I hated myself even more for doing it that way. She wanted to somehow shed her needy self, but she couldn't. Being vulnerable makes me feel out of control. When I'm out of control, I'm, unsa I'm unsafe. I, I, I'm too aware of anything, that anything can happen. I can be left. I can go unnoticed. I can be disregarded. I'm, I'm not even, it's like I'm not even there. She, sp she said, I spent all of my young adulthood trying to get someone to love me. My fixation on boys and what they thought of me consumed my young adult years if I only would have invested that time in really discovering who I was, my life could have been so different. You know, um, Paul goes on to say in verse six, he talks about the wrath of God is coming. What, what I think he's referencing there is that we, eventually God just backs up and gives it to us. You know, that's the ultimate wrath of God. It's not lightning bolts, right? For when we mess up, boom, you know, he's ready, to, he's ready to eliminate. No, the wrath of God is where God just steps back and lets us have it, whatever it is we think we want. And, and sometimes the consequences of our sins are built in. And so we're learning, we're learning this and we're seeing this in the breakup. He says, so, he says, uh, so put to death, Put to death, get radical, get violent with the verb of whatever this expression of your sexuality is outside of God's plan. Put it to death, he says. Reason number one, God's wrath. Eventually God gives you what you think you want. And then reason number two is human memory. Verse seven, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. And if you just think back to what life was like 
when something consumed you and what it did to you personally, what it did to your marriage, what it did to people around you, how it, how it impacted your, your brain and how you function day to day. When you look back and you remember that addictive life, Paul says that's going to be a deterrent. That's going to be a motivation. Don't ever go that direction again because you know what happens when, that, when you go that path. Can I ask a question this morning? Do you need a new cleanness? Well, I love you. I don't care how soiled or fouled or dirty you feel. You're made in the image of God. You have so much worth, more than you know. But if you're like me in my life, you're like everybody else in this room, don't you need a new cleanness where the love of the Lord and the purity of the Lord washes over you? See, I have a feeling we need it. And I have a feeling when we take these steps, God's going to release some of you to do more for him you've ever done before. Because you're making him yourself available for him to flow through you. And so fighting for purity is good, but even before we go there, who do you want to be? Who do we want to be? See, God can write a new sexual story. We can reclaim our body for God. We can leave sexual sin and we can, for, we can forgive ourselves and others for the mistakes we've made and we can end the emotional ties with our past and we can let God's purity and love flow through us such that we are able to be conduits of his love in a greater way. You see, another way I think we could say this is sometimes we just need to take out the garbage. And maybe instead of just saying kill it and get violent with the verb, maybe this morning that's a better metaphor to use is that maybe there's garbage in your life you need to take out. You know, every Thursday night's garbage night at the Nelson household, right? Thursday night, we got to set out our garbage. I try to remember that. Donna tries to remember that. And you know what? If we don't remember to set the garbage out on Thursday night, we get the privilege of smelling that stuff for a whole week. Anybody else been there before? And so I'm sure you have too, and that's not fun, right? So we get to smell that stuff for a whole week, and it's really fun when you forget to do it after Thanksgiving. That's really fun. Okay, you're three or four bags high, right? And you get the privilege. And, you know, sometimes on a Friday morning, I'll go for a run, and uh, that's when garbage pickup day is. And if I time that wrong, I get behind a garbage truck. I do, and I get the privilege of gulping in huge volumes of garbage infested atmosphere air that just just fills my lungs instead of the normal you know cow pasture smells that I occasionally encounter in rural Indiana right on the country roads well it's no fun it is no fun we have to take the garbage out sometimes because if we don't it gets unbearable and I'm just saying this morning that if we'll take the garbage out, I believe a real revival and real renewal will come to our hearts. I want this. I'm willing to fight for this. And, and I want you to fight for this. And nobody's going to be perfect. But that's why I'm saying is that consider before you consume for seven days. Before you consume, whatever it is you're going to consume, whatever the thing you're doing to kind of help you deal with the isolation and the, and the uh, alienation you're feeling, whatever you're doing, before you do it, 
text, okay? Text, and then I'm going to send you back what God's saying for me to tell you, okay? Because I want you to feel a sense of bonding and connection. That's what you're seeking, okay? Porn's not going to do it. You can't find love in a click. You can keep clicking. It's not going to work. You're going to be further from the purpose God has for you with every click. And what I'm saying this morning and what I'm proposing, you're wanting connection. You're needing to know that you're loved in your search for truth and purpose and meaning. That's what you're after. And you also need clarification on how God wants you to use this gift that he's given you to use. And so neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go, take out the garbage of your life. Sometimes you might be in a search, okay? And you end up somewhere you didn't want to be. Take out the garbage, abandon the search. Sometimes maybe you're in a conversation and somebody, you know this conversation is not going in a good direction. You know what? Take out the garbage. Take out the trash. And maybe, maybe that, that needle, maybe that bottle, maybe that pill, maybe that habit is your go-to. That's what you consume. Maybe it's time to take out the garbage. Maybe it is time this morning for our church to go in in our Instagrams and our Facebooks and our Twitter and our, and our other social media networks. And you know what? Following that person is just totally not good for me. I got to take out the trash. Maybe it's time for us to make some decisions like that. And this is why this is a huge spiritual warfare battle because I think you're battling it alone. And like I said at the top of this thing, you're not gonna beat it unless you have those, all those four C's, okay? You're not gonna win. You need a new cleanness. You need a new calm. You need a new candor. You can just be open with your life. You need a new community. That's why Paul sets it up this way. That's the only way you and I are going to win in this thing. And so this morning, maybe it is time for you to take out the trash. Maybe it is time to get radical with a verb. It's time to execute this. It's kept you on the run for too long. It's defeated you for too long. It's, 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 it's taken love and emotions for too long in directions it should have never gone. Maybe it's time to execute something. Maybe it's time to recast the vision for what God has for this very spe- special and precious area of our life. As your pastor, I will do my best to normalize this discussion and normalize your presence and normalize whatever addictions you have, to normalize the battle with those and to know that this is a safe place for you to work through that because you need a new cleanness. I need a new cleanness. We need a new community around us. That's gonna get us there. And so I'm gonna, I challenge you. I challenge myself. God, you guide me as I recommit in a deep and powerful way to sexual sobriety, to the expression of this gift that God has given all of my romantic and emotional and, and sexual and, and uh, spiritual and relational energy that it goes first and foremost to the wonderful woman that I've married, that, I've, that I have the privilege of calling my wife. And then also that it, my love for you 
and my care for you could be what it needs to be. This is, my, this is all of our challenges. And so I just stand before this community as a, as a person in need, a person who's made lots of mistakes, a person who's, who is vulnerable in a lot of ways, but also a person who knows what it's like to draw on the power of God and the purity of the Spirit and the love of the Lord and the beauty of letting life work the way it's supposed to. Maybe this is your vision. Maybe this is your mission. I trust that it is. I'm going to pray together and we're going to, we're going to wrap up the online edition of this message this morning. And then I just need you one more minute, one or two minutes after the wrap up of the online uh, message. And we certainly appreciate our online audience. Um, we'll be talking just a little more um, next week about some things um, in this passage. We'll, we'll go the next section of this verses eight through 11 or so and talk a little more about this. But uh, our, our hope and prayer is that God will use this to get us on a path of a full and complete recovery and restoration. Amen. Let's pray together. So Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your love and grace and we thank you for the beauty of who you are. And while this is a very uncomfortable topic for all of us, we understand that it's the church has dropped the ball and people tell me that all the time. And I don't want to be the one that drops the ball. And so I just pray for your personal guidance and strength in my life. And that I walk close to you. I pray for every man, every woman in this room. Those who have um, struggled, I pray. And those who just the ongoing struggle of intimacy and, and closeness and bonding with people that are important to us. And then I pray for our church family. I pray for Stones Hill that you protect this church. I have a feeling you want to use this church in a powerful and mighty way. And you want to use it in this community. You want to use it in the families of our congregation. And so I just pray that you would just ensure and protect and anoint and guide and lead as we need to be led here. And then I pray for all the online people, all those tuning in here this morning you would guide them and be with them and touch them where they are. And we know love will never come to us in a click. It will never happen. But it'll come in a handshake, a hug, a smile, a prayer. It'll come in a moment of conversation where there's finally there's transparency and there's openness. We'll find what we've always wanted. And we think about that wrath of God that was mentioned, that little phrase. And we think of Jesus who so many years ago absorbed all the wrath of God in our behalf. And he somehow transfers in that moment of cosmic transition, uh, a, a transaction, that something happens that his righteousness becomes ours. Praise God. We thank you for that. We thank you we can be covered in the purity of Christ. And so we ask and pray you would give us a clear and compelling vision for where it is you would need each of us to go and how, how it is we need to be radical in this area of our life. And so you give us wisdom now as we move forward and we'll trust you to do it in the strong name of Jesus. A final story, a final story. If you want to just one minute more. Um, why all of this effort 
well, so you can have peace. So you can be less emotionally damaged. So you can offer the gift of this gift to someone, to your spouse someday. Jason Effort on the screen. He wrote a book, If You Really Love Me. And I want to close with this because I think it's a beautiful story of redemption. I think it's a story of encouragement. And he says, he says, uh, you may feel like that what you have done with your life and this gift in particular, that you don't have a consecrated sexuality left to give to a future spouse. But he says, he offers this story of hope. He said, a young woman that I know um, had lost, had misused the gift of her sexuality in high school, and she she experienced more than one broken sexual relationship, he says. And she said, she said because she didn't know who she was, she established an identity in men. And instead of giving in to despair that she would have nothing left to give her future husband, she came up with a beautiful idea, he says. She confessed her life. She made a commitment to reclaim her purity. She wrote a letter of encouragement to herself to stay firm in the resolve. And she listed all of the reasons why she would no longer lead a promiscuous hookup life. And she said she included the letter, in the letter, all the things that she hoped for in a future husband. And she promised to wait for God to bring them together. Whenever she felt tempted to return to her former life, she'd pull out this letter. And she would remind herself that what true love was and that it was possible. And that she could just exclusively set herself apart for her future husband and each time she would read the letter another thought would come and so she would add to it and and so she wrote to her future husband like this and she wrote actually several letters in constant support of this decision that she had made and by the time of her wedding Jason writes that she had a large envelope filled with many pages that she wanted waited to give to her husband on her honeymoon Jason Everett, to your left there. He says, I know all these details about this lady because I am the husband who received those letters. Kristalina writes on your right. On the first night of my honeymoon, I presented all of them to Jason. The scribbled stack of love notes from my late teens and early 20s were my way of showing him that even though I hadn't lived the perfect past, I had started thinking about him. And I want to offer that on our wedding night. That's the kind of God that we have working in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, online audience. And we will see you next week.